Hi, hello, bonjour, and namaste. This is Out of the Clouds, a podcast at the crossroads between business and mindfulness. And I'm your host, Anne Mulatala. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by a wonderful couple, Kath and Jeremy Brown of Feldspar Studio. I had the pleasure of working with Kath and Jeremy a few years ago as they were just starting with their business, Feldspar. And this podcast is, a <laughs> is an opportunity to catch up with them to a certain extent, to ask them questions and to bring to you, my uh, lovely audience, the story and the journey of uh, this creative duo, this balanced partnership that make up the core of this beautiful brand, Feldspar Studio. So in our conversation, we talk about how the couple left London and set up in Devon, how the occasion of a Christmas with family visiting them in their new home was the impetus, the excuse that got Jeremy to make a table for Christmas dinner and then got the two of them working on their first ceramics. The two tell me about the importance of considered designs, how they split the work between the two of them, what they'd like to see Feldspar become in the future, and their deep commitment, unwavering commitment, to supporting heritage crafts that are endangered at the moment in the UK. With a strong emphasis on made by hand, truly made by hand by craftspeople in their workshops and in other workshops around the UK, this is a very... These are committed entrepreneurs with a fascinating and beautiful vision to collaboration, to design, to everyday luxury. So I'm really excited about bringing you this conversation with the two of them. So without further ado, I give you my conversation with Kath and Jeremy Brown. Welcome to Out of the Clouds. Thank you. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Such a pleasure. It's so nice to see both your faces. And uh, as I told you in the email that I sent you the other day, one of the ways I, I like to start the conversation is to ask people about who they are before we talk about what we do, because we tend to be so focused on doing. And so I thought that it'd be interesting because I know both of you, it, I, I don't know everything. So <laughs> <laughs> I like to invite people to tell me their story and pick up from wherever they want. So I know it can sound a little bit daunting, but if you're game, who wants to start? You can start, Kat. I think you want to start. <laughs> <laughs> I could ramble on for eight hours, though, couldn't I? <laughs> um, where to start? I, my dad is a, a diplomat, so spent my whole childhood traveling around. I would only live for places for two or three years at a time. I was born in Bonn, in Germany. Then we moved to Prague, Czech, Czechoslovakia, and then we got... But they were kicked out. Yeah, we got kicked out. No. Because they thought my dad was a spy. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Um, not sure if he was. Debatable. Um, <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. From there, we went to Morocco. And that's where my earliest memories are from. The veg man arriving with all the veg on the donkey and things like mm. that. So from Morocco, went back to UK, then went out to, back to Germany mm -hmm. to Dusseldorf. 
and then went to Geneva. And then... Back. I did not realise that. Yeah, outside of Geneva. We lived in Coppet mm. to La Chataignerie. And then, yeah, came, studied in the UK. And then, like, when my parents separated, we moved to here. And then went back out to Geneva when I got a job. I had not realised... I remember that you were in Geneva for your job when you were uh, at the UN, but I had completely lost track of the fact you'd lived here before. How's yeah, your yeah. French? I two or three years, probably, when I was a teenager. Okay. Yeah. Tu parles français? Oui, un peu, mais ça va trop bien. Okay. Well, I uh, spoke anything other than poor English. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about what you studied and what were you like as a teenager? I was very rebellious. I was not a good student. It was the whole time when my parents were going through a divorce and we left Switzerland halfway through my IB and started A-levels. And so... I went off the rails a little bit. Didn't focus too much on education. <laughs> I used to like the subjects I studied, but then I'd not be too bothered about turning up to exams and things like that. Um, I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> if I was in the pub, I might not go to the maths exam. Yeah, I was doing that. So interesting. I am like deep to yeah, you. Like my parents opposite. moved into the house like they still live in three months before I was born. I went to school over the road from my house. And you were very studious. I was very studious. And very I was sensible. obsessed with good exam results. Oh, I yeah. care less. <laughs> That's fascinating. Right opposites. Yeah. I know. We really are. We'd have hated each other at school. Oh, right? you would have been so annoying. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would have. I'd find myself very annoying if I had to go back. No. Lucky we didn't meet till later. Yeah. But yeah, I, uh, by university, I, that I'd... Um, You'd calm down? Yeah, I did the whole kind of doing A-levels thing and then took three or four years out and just did... I can't remember. What, I was doing the modelling for a while. Did the bar jobs. Drank lots. Uh, and then realized that I like the creative stuff. And then I put together a portfolio and got mm. into an art foundation in Exeter. I am really glad that I asked you that because somehow I thought that your journey had been much more linear. More clean cut. <laughs> hey, I'm not judging you. I got expelled from high school. Really? Did you? I didn't know that. <laughs> and, I, and I dropped out of university. <laughs> So why, no judgment here. Why was that? Why did you drop out for a job? I didn't understand what studying was going to do for me. Okay. I could not figure out what that was going to do. And everybody else seemed to be okay with it. And I was passionate about doing music. And I thought, I'd rather work and sing. And so I worked and sang. And it worked out. <laughs> so so then how did you get into the fashion stuff? Because I was really good at working. <laughs> <laughs> I worked in retail in Geneva and I learned to speak English by working in a video store that only had DVDs and videos and books for the English community. And so because I knew how to run a store, by the time I got to London, I ended up working for a little shoe designer yeah. called Christian Louboutin. <laughs> <laughs> no one knew his name. Oh, really? That's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, not very linear. 
Mm. No, unless you're Kath. Unless you're, unless you're Kath. Okay, so tell us about your path. Well, <laughs> so I grew up in the same house that my parents still live in now and had the same friends that I had when I was seven. <laughs> and I went to the same school pretty much my entire school career. Girls' school. Girls' school. Very yeah. sensible. Very sensible, very competitive, which I enjoyed a lot. And then I went to university to study history of art in Edinburgh. And I chose history of art because I liked history and I liked art. And that was it. <laughs> I, had no, I didn't have that thought like, where am I going to go from here? I just enjoyed the degree and then finished and thought, oh, where am I going to go from here? <laughs> and it was 2008. So we all left uni and then the financial crash happened like a month later or something. So that was good timing. <laughs> so then I worked in a gallery because that's recession proof, the art world. And did that for a few years and then realized I didn't really enjoy the art world so much. So then I went back to university to study architecture, which was brilliant. I loved it. And I graduated and worked for about six months. <laughs> and then we moved to Devon and had kids. And so, yeah, then we started making <laughs> ceramics, which was a curveball. One day we'll be making houses. One day, one day we'll design a house. Yeah. But yeah, so apart from the ceramics, it was all quite linear. Yeah, yeah quite sensible. She got very good grades at university as well. I'm not surprised. I, I feel like I understood that now. So architecture, did you always have a, an affinity for architecture? Is this something that developed over the years that you were working no, around no. artists? Like when I was little, seven, eight, all I would do was draw floor plans for houses. I loved it so much. <laughs> like, there must be hundreds of them somewhere. Please tell me you can find some and send me a picture because that sounds yeah. amazing. They were really cool. And the, the different floors would be like taped on so you could lift them up. And then I play and pretend to be living in the house. Um, but yes, yeah, so I did it for ages. And then I, I went through a vague teenage rebellion and kind of forgot about architecture. And it oh. was very competitive and but very prescriptive. So they were like, okay, so if you want to study architecture, you have to do physics and maths A-level. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. I don't enjoy them. So I didn't. But it turns out you don't have to do that at all. But yes, I always loved it. And I love, because I feel like I'm quite a creative person, but I need quite strict parameters to be creative. And architecture is like a puzzle, isn't it? You're constantly trying to solve problems and work out solutions within quite tight constraints. So yeah, I loved it. It's great. That sounds wonderful. Have you ever heard of the book, A Beautiful Constraint? No, I don't think so. Oh, I'm going to make a note to send it to you. 
Aww, I think you'll really like it. It's all about um, problem solving with when you have big constraints and finding solutions. Oh, my favorite kind. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did you meet? When well, did you meet? Big, big story. We met on. Well, we met in real life at a friend's party. Yeah, briefly, but we both had partners. So we just met, that's when we met kind of thing. And then a couple of years later, Kath came up on Facebook as a recommended friend. And, oh no, but I've seen your brother beforehand, haven't I? Yeah, I think so. Kath's brother, Alex, is in the same circle of friends as me, but we're on two opposite sides. I knew him, but I'd only met him two or three times. And after meeting Kath at that, the party a couple of years beforehand, every time I'd see Alex, I'd ask, how's your sister doing? And th this, Which the last time, yeah, <laughs> the last time he was like, oh, she's single now. And I, I was freshly single as well. And then a few days later on Facebook, recommended friend, Catherine Evers. So I just typed my best mates, question mark. And then Kath replied, best ever. And then we just started chat flirting on Facebook for a couple of weeks yeah. and then arranged a date in um, London because I was at the UN at this stage. And living in Nairobi. Nairobi. Yeah, Kath is in London. So we arranged a date one evening. It wasn't a blind date because we'd have done plenty of research on Facebook and we yeah. had seen each other once a couple of years before. <laughs> but so we arranged to meet on, is it Charlotte Street? Yeah. On Charlotte Street. Kath was on one side of the street, I was on the other. We walked to the middle and then just have like just a gentle kiss on the lips. And very explained. <laughs> Never done that before. And then we went to a few different bars for drinks and like restaurant and stuff. But we just made it up as we went. And during that time, we were just chatting and we were saying how like, where would be the next place to meet up because we're living in different continents kind of thing. And I said, maybe we should go to Vegas. And Kath said, maybe we should get married. And from that moment, we knew we were going to be getting married. Wow. <laughs> I'm loving your smile right now. <laughs> Kath, would you like to add your take to the story? Yeah. Yeah. I remember we were in Dean Street Townhouse and a friend of mine was there and she was throwing paper airplanes at us and we didn't even notice. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> very funny. I've been throwing these at you for half an hour. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. We didn't get married in Vegas, though. We, we were going to. And then um, Kath's dad intervened. He said he'd been. Yeah, because I've got three brothers. He'd been so. looking forward to this wedding, this potential wedding since she was born. He basically really wanted to give a speech. Yeah, with <laughs> like, um, <laughs> I need to ask then, how was the speech? It was very good. It was good. really good. It was great. It he, was really funny. He's very good at public speaking. Yeah. Very funny. So we didn't actually get married until two years later. Some cooling off time. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and so, Jeremy, you gave us a hint, but you worked at the UN at the time. Can you tell us about what that job was like and what you were doing? Yeah, so I worked for um, the International Trade Center, which is part of the WTO and UNCTAD. They're like they're the kind of parent companies, agencies of the ITC. And effectively, we were just we were working with big luxury fashion houses like Gucci and Vivian Westwood and people like that and helping to make their supply chain more ethical and sustainable. 
and specifically we'd pair them up with artisans in the slums or in really remote rural communities like, like Maasai groups and places like that and we'd on the community side we'd train them up and like they'd, they'd have a craft skill they, with the Maasai they're really good at beading other places they might do brass casting or something like that but they wouldn't have the kind of the business side to know how to cost up their products properly or to manage the production or anything like that or it could be health and safety making sure that they're ventilating and everything so we'd complete the package of what the community can do and then we'd be linking them up through these kind of hubs that we'd set up that would help with all the business and side of things and the fulfillment like getting the product made on time and then over to the fashion houses and then with the fashion houses would be essentially with traveling salesmen like showing all the different skills and materials and places that it could work and all that kind of stuff how did you land that job because remind me you were studying i studied design yeah and then i joined the un working developing a website actually and then my boss poached me from that team initially because he thought i think that i'd gone because i'd gone to goldsmiths i must have done something like jewelry and it was a fashion ah. but then also i've got his art his wife is an art collector and i've got work in the museum of modern art in san francisco and so she knew the work from that and so like it all merged in together basically and really like when i went to work for him we were like a little startup within the un it was just us two and then so it was one of the, like when you have a startup you've just got to wear many hats kind of thing so like really i was just improvising running around doing lots of different things kind of thing <laughs> that sounds awesome yeah it's great fun it was really nice kind of time it was really good like learning period of my life i think i was there for under 10 years mm. But just learned so much. By the end of it, I was traveling three, three and a half weeks a month. It was just constant, constantly on the move. And in the morning, I could be with a community in like the Massamara or something like that. And then I'd be getting a flight back to Paris to do a fashion show with Vivian Westwood or something like that. And you'd just be meeting such varied and different people and learning a lot from each one. And also just, just learning how each would react and cope with different situations and in general it was a lot more kind of calming being in Kibera one of Africa's biggest slums to being in Paris during fashion week it's interesting like, to hear it from someone who were who was in those two places within a short span of time yeah it's just in in the slums everyone would they just have time for you to sit down they have nothing but they'd offer you everything kind of thing they'd make you feel welcome they'd try feed you even though you know that they're living on less than a dollar a day kind of thing they're just all so welcoming so happy so cheery the whole time and then it's a massive stereotype and generalization but then you get to paris fashion week and everyone's rushing around stressed rude <laughs> and when you tell people what you do most people will think the glamorous side would be the fashion weeks really but really this is there's lots to unpack there there's lots going on in the slums that it's not <laughs> kind of like idyllic place yeah. by any means but just that those those two contradictions or on a human level i guess what you're saying is there was warmth and connection in one place yeah place. and it is very general terms there's lots of lovely people in, in fashion week <laughs> <laughs> yes that's absolutely true yeah, yeah. 
But so how did you guys decide to start your own business together? How did we do it? Was doing all that traveling and we got married and Kath became pregnant. We're in London and you were basically commuting weekly around the world. And it was just way too much. When- so yeah, Milo was born and we just thought, let's move to Devon. I think we were looking at buying a house in London. Yeah. And we're just being squeezed further and further outside of London, really. And then we just thought, we're not even really in London anymore. Let's now, try Now Devon. it's considered central London. <laughs> yeah. We're looking at Leighton. Yeah. Wow. These days. Yeah. But yeah. So then we just, on a whim, thought, let's move to Devon. And you know, when the- a decision feels right, yeah. It just... It was a no-brainer. We were, we were looking for houses and then like in Zoopla, instead of heading late and I just put Devon and then suddenly you could get farmhouses for the same price as one bets in Leighton at, the, at that time. At the time. Yeah, it's not changed a lot now. pandemic Yeah. Um, and it's very different now. <laughs> and so I came back from work and said to Kath, shall we just move to Devon instead and just showed a photo. She was like, yeah, all right. So both handed in notice. It wasn't a difficult decision. But mm. we didn't know what we were going to do. We assumed we'd take a bit of time off, like maternity leave, and then go back to versions of our old jobs, which we toyed with for a couple of months. And then yeah. I realized that I would be leaving the house at seven in the morning and getting back at seven in the evening. She and started crying. Yeah, I did start like, that sounds bleak. And I'd oh, make wow, yeah. money to cover childcare, maybe. So I said, I'm not going to do that. And yeah, so then we just thought, let's, let's we, we had company. We had discussed starting something together. But just like maybe in the future. Yeah, one day we should point. do something. But we just suddenly thought, now's probably a good time. <laughs> we Might as well. Work. Yeah. And we're both quite opinionated about design and things and we'd always get things and be like oh wouldn't it be great if it was actually more like this and so we just thought let's and we're both frustrated before that we didn't have full control over things and the projects would always get watered down and all that yeah that's a big thing having to work to a customer's brief budget and time constraints yeah. and all and that. then they'd always start off with a really wholesome ethical idea and then gradually they would always pretty much always be watered down and down and then they'd still like pitch something as being the original brief but in reality it was like a shadow of what it could have been mm. like it was always money and time really wasn't it so we thought if we can control everything to do with these products we make then we can make them exactly how we want to make them we can make they should be packaging yeah so that was the seed of the idea yeah it took about a year i think that once we decided to do that we spent about half a year designing the first products and then half a year designing the branding and packaging and website mm. uh, we wanted it to present everything 
Yeah-ish. Slightly less, because we launched just like beginning of December. Yeah, but we started making everything for Christmas. And then oh, yeah. Although we started making things before we were going to do the business. Yeah. We just needed plates and bowls because mm. families were both coming for Christmas. And this table. And the table. Yeah, so Jeremy had to make the table first. And then the plates. I always think things up. take a couple of days to make as well. And it, whatever it is, I'll be able to make it in two days. And it's always about two weeks. <laughs> I'm the same as you. I have a huge problem with time. I get you. Yeah. But I remember you telling me the story and I read it. It's in several interviews. So you had your families coming for Christmas in this new rental home in Devon, which by the way, is, is you're still in the same home? No, no, you're not, right? We're just there for nine or so months and then mm. moved to one that's very similar, but in a different spot, basically. Does it still have not many sharp angles outside, as I remember? Yeah, th that's the house. This, this This has fewer sharp angles than... The original house. <laughs> this this house is older. Fully wonky windows. Yeah. Like windows that aren't even level. level. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how it's happened. <laughs> it looks pretty on Zoom, but I, I guess I can't really see what's going on. I know it is wonky and unlevel in a yeah. in a pretty way. It's very charming. Yeah, yeah, it's very it's it's exactly exactly what you imagine kind of a Devon house, like in, surrounded yeah. by fields. Our our lane is one of the worst lanes in Devon, which says a lot. You, you need to <laughs> drive to get down it's here. It's just so bad. Um, so it is, yeah, that kind of storybook Devon longhouse, all that. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it's So you made the plates and the bowls and you made the table. How? This is maybe because I'm French, but I read you, you threw pottery on the wheel. Yeah. What mm. does that mean? Oh, that's the term you throw. That's the term. Yeah. Isn't so when you make a French speaker oil. who reads it, I <laughs> yeah. understand all the words. Fling it on there. I'm imagining you just like throwing stuff. Okay. Yeah. So you are placing it. Yeah, you place it and then you mold it. You know. Okay, the, I understand. How you make it. How you make it <laughs> English yeah. is just a bit funky <laughs> on that one. Yeah. So we bought a pottery wheel from a potter up on the middle of Dartmoor. He gave us the lesson. He showed us how to do the basics, gave us some clay. And then... The When Kaz says us, she means me. Kaz, yeah, I tried it once. She's done it once like, and hated it. I don't have the patience for that. Yeah. And so then Jeremy would make things and then we would take them back to this potter for him to fire them because we didn't have a kiln. But before it's fired, the clay is it's just mud. So like mm. it breaks very easily. So we're driving over these bumpy roads in a four by four to get to get to the kiln and fire it. And amazingly, you know, most of them made it. Yeah. We've probably had more success with that than <laughs> general production then. And then we take it back and glaze everything and decorate it and then take it back to across fire the mall again. to be fired again. It was really fun. Yeah. So we, we were doing this a couple of weeks before Christmas. At the same time as making the pots, I, I was making the table. And before I went to work for the UN, in between the university and the UN, I worked on a building a really nice old cutter sailing yacht. So all wood and a friend's dad was uh, making it. And there was only ever like four of us working at, us at once. And he just, he wanted, because it was his own boat, he wanted everything to be perfect. So everything had to just fit in beautifully, like almost to a millimeter tolerance kind of thing. 
um, I went back to his workshop and built the the kitchen table in amongst all the the pottery that we were doing, um, which was really fun to go back there. Um, but so I think that's where the interest in pottery stemmed from, isn't it? We yeah, we started throwing everything, and then we we're thinking kind of what products we'd, we'd like and we appreciate the kind of pottery ceramics we do like that but it's not it's not really our style kind of thing we started experimenting with slip casting we want we wanted more refined really fine products and like with the on the wheel it's more earthy and there's you get amazing glazes and stuff like that but by the nature of it the walls are quite thick so then drinking from a a pottery a wheel thrown mug yeah. is a different experience equally good in their own ways but it just mm. wasn't our kind of vibe yeah we started slip casting porcelain to begin with and then we're learning all about the fine bone china because it was in, invented in stoke-on-trent in the victorian era and it was very british and it was a dying industry so we thought we'd we'd jump on board with with the fine bone. yeah and it's translucent so yeah. just for people out there who don't know the difference between porcelain and fine bone china, could you explain the difference? Yeah, they're very similar. They both use kaolin clay, which is china clay. But with fine bone china, potash and ox, basically, ox bone is mixed in with the, the china clay, which makes it stronger and translucent. With our candles or light shades, the light shines through the clay body. Whereas with porcelain, it, it doesn't. It's, porcelain's a little bit more translucent compared to a stoneware, but um, you don't have the same respect. Sure, yeah. Um, and it's the strongest type of ceramic. You can so you can make things very fine walled and unusual shapes, and because very strong. And because our handles are so fine as well, we needed something that is going to be strong. Because if, say, we went with a stoneware or even a terracotta, then the handles would just ping off with mm. the wind. Yeah. So how did you land on the idea of starting the company with those products? We started with mug. We started with mugs, yeah. So we had three mugs, a tea mug, coffee mug, and an espresso mug. We had one candle because we thought, we're going to launch around Christmas and people like people love candles at Christmas. So, like <laughs> yeah. so it's a really well thought out business strategy. <laughs> we That's the thing. We've never had a business strategy and we just started making stuff. No, but we had this plan. A vague oh yeah. Plan yeah. Where the first three months would be ceramics and then we'd move into woodwork. <laughs> and then we'd move into something else. That the, the whole year was cut into the six the, years the later. Uh, we're still not quite. Yeah, there, there was metal work. There was glass taken over. Yeah, that, that's back to the two days but two weeks thing, but on a even yes. bigger scale, <laughs> even slower. I know it's remarkable. We've we finally got our woodworking shop though. Just haven't released anything yet. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's the. the Rotation molding machine that I was making that was inside the, the wood workshop. Wood, mm. Wooden metal. But yeah, the I don't know what we just chose mugs because we need we'd done plates already for Christmas and we hadn't done any mugs yet. So we moved on to mugs. We love drinking coffee. Yeah, I love coffee. Yeah, like I mean, when we moved down to Devon, we had to get a good coffee machine and we'd get coffee sent from Monmouth 
and that we were basically retired for the first year. First couple of months. <laughs> Six months, maybe. Uh, well, we tended the veg patch. Yeah. <laughs> Listening to Potmaster. Mm. So basically you were coffee obsessed, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think in London, a huge part of your day is taken up with going to get coffee. Yeah, I remember that. Spending an extortionate amount of money on coffee. And so we just figured we needed to replicate that living in the middle of the mall. So we got a good coffee machine that a friend was giving away because it was broken, but Jeremy fixed it. And then, so we thought it's just logical to start with a coffee mug. So we did. And it's still one of our best-selling mugs. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the dimples, because your coffee mug is not quite like other coffee mugs. It is not. So it's very minimal in design. It's just bright white, and then it's got a painted handle in a variety of colors now, but we just started with the cobalt blue. And yeah, it has these kind of very subtle dimples all over the body of it, which allow your hands to sit in it really nicely. It's very tactile. And the idea is that it makes you stop and appreciate a cup of coffee. How did you guys thought of that? Because we had just done this transition. We'd gone from rushing around the world, being very busy the whole time, to grinding to a halt. Yeah. There's Very nothing going on between the years for a couple of months. It was so quiet. We did have to do. So we wanted to replicate that and give it, give people a way to do that. So rather than rushing around your kitchen, getting ready for something, you'll get your feldspar mug and you'll just slow down, stop. You just enjoy it. Like the handle is very delicate. So it's not something that you want to be rushing around with multitasking kind of thing. You can just sit there and play with it in your hands and enjoy your coffee and your yeah. thoughts. Yeah. And they're much harder to make this way. Yeah. Because obviously things are perfectly cylindrical because that's how they come off a wheel or out of a mold. When you throw them on a wheel. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for that. (laughs) On the wheel. Um, And yeah, so these use a multi-part mold. Uh, they don't drop out of a mold very easily, so they have to be multi-parts. And, and then when fired, it's, it's nice and strong, but because it is all so thin and the handles are so fine, before you fire them, you you have to be so delicate. Otherwise, all the handles come off and mm-hmm. it goes out of shape and all that kind of stuff. So they are very tricky to make. But much nicer to hold. Mm. Yeah. Because your hands aren't perfectly cylindrical. <laughs> I read that somewhere and I was like, thank you for noticing. <laughs> you know, when I hear you talk about that moment of taking your time and because you had made such a break from your earlier life, you're reminding me that when I started doing my certification training with as a mindfulness meditation teacher, I had a, a wonderful mentor. We only met as a group once a month, but once or twice I had a one-on-one And it was his morning, my afternoon, we both had a cup of coffee and he had told me, you can really start savoring your coffee before you even taste it. And he was just giving me all these cues and hints to, yeah, to feel more into the experience, to prepare, smell, touch, feel. And regularly, I still think of him and that when I make it in the morning, because I am suitably coffee obsessed myself. (laughs) 
And I also like to make it myself. So I appreciate that you went to such a different, an experiential um, angle to making your first product. How did people like it once you put the product out there? It was good when we put it out there. It was. Beforehand, showing family and stuff, they were looks a bit silly. Looks yeah. a bit weird. Yeah, family's not always the best for uh, an entrepreneur yeah. couple. <laughs> Yeah, they just thought we were ridiculous not getting proper jobs yeah. as well. We've actually put that on the packaging. Um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> what does it say on the packaging? Well, we put a quote from Kath's dad, which is, you don't have to be mad, but it helps. That's what he would always say. <laughs> and then we put a quote from my mum saying, why don't you get a proper job? That's and fantastic. That's basically, the feedback. Sums it up. We launched just before Christmas, so we had quite mm-hmm. a good kind of little run-up to Christmas, just basically friends and friends of friends oh, but I we think. were un, underprepared we were very underprepared we just thought that everything would grow on its own because we had lots of friends we thought that <laughs> they'd buy some they'd follow us on instagram their friends would see it follow us on instagram before yeah, you knew it would be an instagram sensation mm-hmm. um and like we in the run-up to christmas we made two thousand pounds worth of sales and then it all just stopped on like a couple of days before Christmas and then Oops. it didn't start again. <laughs> yeah, right. And we we're on holiday. Um and we were like, maybe we should do something like a trade show or something. Maybe we should do something. So we booked onto a trade show for the week we like the first week in January or something. And then it was I don't know if it was just not a good fit at trade show, but we printed off lots of kind of order forms, got really excited. Probably like 60. We were just like, we were prepared uh, all these wholesale yeah. orders. And then we didn't get a single order. No, not at the show. Not at the show. It was worth doing though, wasn't it? Because like It was worth doing in the end because the V&A shop saw us there and they were one of our first. So we were in a small little two-meter by two-meter stand at the show. And there was a very nice person next to us also selling mugs, but they were the type that made in China, decorated in the UK, or maybe decorated in China, but with all like kittens and things on the sides, hearts and bows. And she was so busy. Her stand was just chock-a-block. Like you couldn't get in there. (laughs) And then like, ours is just... I like even at one point I had a couple walk past and go oh that's the arty farty one and then just oh cried. no and so it was like oh my god what have we done it was soul destroying but slowly we've clawed our slowly, way through it basically took a backpack full of mugs and went into our favorite shops in London so like all the nice design shops like Mint mm-hmm. and Alex Eagle. Alex Eagle. And yeah. By accident, we had a really good game plan without planning. Yeah. <laughs> so like, go to all the like influential taste-making small independents and then all the buyers and stuff will find you through those places. We got lucky yeah. there, really. That was basically what. And then gradually... We got in the bigger places. You introduced mm. us to matches, mm-hmm. which was a big one for us. We're still with matches after five years or something like yeah, that. That's awesome. Then Conran's shop. Oh, yeah. And you took a suitcase full of samples up to 
the meeting with Conran Shop like the first time we'd ever met them. We were obviously really excited because Conran Shop's like a huge deal. I cried when I met Terence Conran. You met Terence that, Conran? That, that's later. That wasn't at the meeting. And then Jeremy had inadvertently locked the suitcase. I'm blaming it on Milo. And couldn't open it. Oh, that's really funny. Yeah, in the meeting. You can't make that stuff up. That's just fabulous. Yeah, I know. They were so lovely. And they were like, oh, we've seen your stuff before. It's fine. Should we just go on your website and look and just so you can talk us through the different things? But they'd seen our stuff in Alex Eagle and stuff like that, I think. It was lucky because they could have just laughed me out of the (laughs) room. That's amazing. Yeah. But can I ask you a question then? How did you choose the next items to make? I know you said plates are the hardest. Pretty much, yeah. To oh, okay. get right. Yeah, I was looking at your teapot though, and I was thinking yeah. that teapot does not look like it's easy to make. And it's not too I, bad. Not too bad. No, it, it's tricky to make get the design right and stuff like that kind of thing. And then there are certain pinch points when you're going through the sampling process. It took us a while to get it down, but in production terms. It's actually a a really reliable, easy one to make. It's expensive because it's big. It takes up lots of space in the kiln. takes a long time to sponge and fettle it. Like the whole process is the bigger the product, the trickier. But say like a water jug, it's tricky because fine brain china wants to move when it's baking in the kiln. So like with the water jug, it goes out. And so the top circumference is massive. So if we don't keep that fixed, it all moves all over the place. Whereas with a teapot, it's got its lid on. It's the shape because it's irregular. The, the irregular shapes seem to survive, especially the small teapots. If we get a big order for small teapots, oh heaven! I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Because I was reading about your designs that they are considered, and I really like that word. And I also read that you're obsessed with the poor. And that you experimented with the elongation. Would you talk us through that and why that stuff matters? It goes down to what you were saying about the coffee, like the whole process. So in the morning, you could just use a normal teapot and it might drip a bit. It might come out too slowly or too quickly. And you're not going to get the journey, that enjoyment of doing. Whereas so... By making products where the most important thing for a teapot is just making the experience enjoyable. And so our teapots don't drip, but that wasn't the main thing, to be honest. I don't really care too much about a drip. I want it to be a pleasurable experience. And our our teapots mainly um, influenced by a watering can because they're, they're designed so then you've got that really long arc when the water flows out but obviously you can't go full watering can otherwise you'd have to stand like a meter away (laughs) the thing that links all of our products is playfulness a sense of humor but it's it's not a joke it's not funny but it's just supposed to bring a smile to your face and make it more enjoyable and approachable and so the teapot great pour my favorite thing is the milk jug the little milk jug with a elongated spout so then as you pour that, you've just got so much control over the amount of milk you want to mm. go in. Our kids, they've got a milk jug each and they have it by their bowls in the morning. So then they pour in their, their cereal and it is really nice and controlled. But all of our products, are, they're designed to be a bit ugly as well. So there's elegance to them, but it's a bit Super kind elegant, of... But they're unexpected in a way. There's certain... Disproportions. Yeah. So. 
But we like that. We try and capture like the initial sketch. Yeah. In 3D form. It's came from a conversation with my aunt who's a musician. She was saying like, the more you do things, the better you get at it. But then the output is almost less approachable to the user in a way because it just becomes too polished. Whereas that original concept or when you're a learner, you've just got the essence of the idea kind of thing and it isn't overworked. You're not bogged down in the craft almost or this is how this is done. A potter should do this or a woodworker goes through these stages, but you're just purely experimenting and you get that. I don't know. It's just that there's a certain essence to the product. And so trying to stay to that main idea, make it professional and an elegant product without over polishing it. So then it looks just like everything else that you see on the shelves. So just a, a kind of fresh approach to using such an old material as well, isn't it? Yeah. It's fine bone china. When you think about the material, you associate it with kind of chintz and grannies and things. Whereas we're trying to make it more relevant to our everyday lives. Everyday I luxury. Guess. Everyday luxury, yeah. Objects for life. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you're both, if I'm correct, obsessed with old objects, objects that you've either grown up with, found in shops. We have way too many of them. Yeah. I remember a few objects that you were hoping to make in the future. What's on your list of new objects for life for Feldspar? It's a very long list. It's a very long list. Okay, tell me about one it's that never, it's never will be a lot of them relevant still right the same now. List that you'd have <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> many years ago. Um, uh, lighting is the big one. So we've mm. made a lampshade, like a pendant lampshade, but we want to make table with lamps with Berdala. We want to make table lamps because we're really interested in playing with the translucency of bone china. And the fact that it's so completely white and opaque when it's when it's not there's not a light shining through it. It's a lovely thing. So yeah, we're playing with that at the moment. And furniture. Um out of bone china. And it's partly just the fun of experimenting and seeing how far you can push materials. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Sorry, listeners, we'll find you a picture. <laughs> I was expecting something much finer because fine bone china. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it, there's a lovely volume to it. Yeah, the, the furniture that we're playing around with is a lot more. It's got, we, we've been making wooden stools and benches and things like that, but all at prototype level at the moment. But it, the kind of style we're going for is it looks like it's been molded out of clay, but it's wood, a lot of maple. It's not like our fine stuff. It's more chunky, more monolithic in nature. But it's still very tactile. Yeah. Like it's all got the same kind of curves and curves and Yeah. And then polished yeah. really smooth. So it's yeah. never a finish. Mm. Mm. That's what we're working on. Yeah. We're always making things and then we'll spend months testing things in the background, trying to work out. Firstly, if we use them. because Everything we make is, kind of, is stuff that we need for the house. Yeah. 
Hmm. So we recently launched a funnel, but we hmm. used that in our kitchen for two years before we launched. <laughs> and it is great. Yes, it's lovely. brilliant. But there's so many things that we just think, oh, it'd be really fun to make that. But then there's hmm. other things that we think we've got no interest in making that, like a chair. Yeah. There's so many amazing chairs out there. Maybe one day, but it's not like the priority list. It's more the unusual things. Like there's a whole collection of nutcrackers I want to make. (laughs) Which would be fun. (laughs) And all different mechanics to them and things like that. And or you can have these little pedestals with a little hammer and you can break them. There's just so much you can do with it. And it'd be quite nice to do different versions. The bagatelle, of course, that's still on the list edging closer to Always. it but still a mile away egg coddlers the tiled swedish heaters we're gonna do those what is that in scandinavia the main heat source and the old houses they're they're like it, it it's they look like fireplaces but it's what's the word again oh, it's yeah. called un poil en français i have one in my house but i don't know what you call it in english and the, mm. and it basically it, it traps all the heat through a maze of brickwork is it a set? yeah Exactly. And you get these really beautiful, ornate ones. Is it, do, do you have the same? It's so beautiful. The building was renovated and it's behind the door in the living room and it's stunning. Unfortunately, it doesn't work, but it's really beautiful. They kept it in perfect condition. Amazing. Yeah. It's sad it doesn't work. None of the fireplaces in the building work, but it's wonderful that they didn't get rid of it. And you still yeah. have this. So when you're in the corridor, you have the non-fancy part, which is metal. And then on the other side, you've got the ceramic. Yeah. It's a beige and green mixed ceramic. I'll send you a picture. It's really pretty. We don't have them in the UK. No. I don't really know why. You can get them imported. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 30, 40,000. Yeah. To import it. Yeah, that's fascinating. So... I wanted to ask you a little bit about how you have found the arc of the development of your company in the last few years. I'm grateful for the story about the lady with the cups with the kittens on it was super busy and you were the minimalist that didn't get a look in. But since then, obviously, things have gotten much, much, much better for you. You have a, a really dedicated following. You have wonderful stores that sell your products around the world. How have you found that arc? It was slow for the first two years. When we first met you, I imagine, like that's, we were just trying to understand how to run a business and what you need to do. We still are, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then for, from the two year point, everything just turned around and then started snowballing. Since then, we've just been playing catch up, basically. We've been trying to grow as quickly as possible to keep up with Yeah, it's um, always a demand. balance between growing the team because we manufacture a lot like most of our ceramics ourselves now so it's always this balancing act between growing the workshops to keep up with demand and then getting the orders in it's like a classic startup type isn't it Mm. where you don't want to grow too fast but then you need to keep up but, so yeah. you had a yeah. collaboration and you created a lampshade in Finebone, China. Can you tell me about it and the company that you collaborated with? Yeah. It all started during lockdown. 
as so many things did. We got in touch with each other. I think we followed each other on Instagram and just thought it'd be quite fun to collaborate together. Berdelat, they're interior designers and they create beautiful products as well. And they have a shop in Bath, which is just the most beautiful shop. It's amazing. You've ever been. Their, their house is it's behind amazing. it. And it's just dream house. It's so considered, but you wouldn't realize it. It feels lived in, but just so stylish and tasteful. And it, it's just, it's, just wonderful. It's, a, it's a dream space. It's lovely. So it looks like it's always been there as well, but it's yeah. like they, they've done it in the last handful of years. So we had a few Zoom meetings in the depths of lockdown to try and just get to know each other and hash out some ideas. And we landed on lampshades because we've always had lampshades on our list of on our ever expanding list of things to do. And Patrick and Neri wanted to create some lampshades and obviously fine bone china because it's translucent lends itself very well to lampshades. Together we designed these lampshades that are, have the characteristic wobble of all feldspar products. And then they're, they're in the shape of the canale, because I think we were in yeah, one of the initial conversations, we were just talking about things that we like and stuff. And we were, all of us just loved the canale. Oh. Actually, when I lived in Geneva, I used to make them so good. Crunchy it's on the outside. So which is the best. Um, You're making me hungry. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. So we made a ceiling rose and a pendant. And the pendant is inspired by classic French glass shop pendants. And then the ceiling rose is based on a canale. So we just molded one out of plaster, basically, and then turned it upside down and made it the ceiling rose. And yeah, it's just been brilliant. It's been such a lovely collaboration. And so then we'd meet up and go to their house and mm-hmm. Neri would cook a lovely lunch and then we'd just discuss things that we wanted to change or what they'd yeah. be packaged in and things like that. It was really nice. It was so lovely. It took two years, yeah, maybe even longer, from the kind of starting conversations to actually launching the products. But that's exactly how you want your collaborations. Yeah. Not, not stress. We're, we're also... it's, a, it's a slow burn, yeah. but it was so much fun. So we also have done another collaboration with Ooh. Tanya Ling, who is an artist, and we have always loved her work. And then she got in touch with us. And before she got in touch with us, we'd always thought if we were ever going to decorate our wares more so than we do already we would want her to do it (laughs) I think I remember Jeremy and you telling me about her before that first collaboration yeah Yeah, 100% and yeah so they came down to stay and we just experimented with creating new forms out of our wares and for an art exhibition basically yeah so she had a a workspace gallery in Covent Garden and so she created a selection of wares works of art yeah chopping up our pieces and putting them all back together shapes and it was so much fun that we've done another collaboration with her and Uh, when is that coming out when is is it coming out 
It's a good it's question. Done. It's a good question. Pre-Christmas. Watch this space. Definitely. <laughs> Johnny came down and painted on a lot of our ceramics. Yeah, plates mainly. And plates, bowls, fruit bowls, mugs, yeah. teapots, cafeterias. Yeah, That's amazing. Cool. I am massively excited yeah. about that. The idea with Tanya is that it's a long-term collaboration. So whenever she comes up with a new idea or we come up with a new product or say we do the tiled heaters or something or the ceramic furniture or even a bagatelle board or something, mm. then we'll do a one-off. Oh my God, the tile heater. I can see it yeah, in my mind. It's amazing. Incredible, wouldn't yeah. it? I know. Or just a whole bathroom and then just get Tanya to just graffiti over the whole thing yeah. kind of thing. It'd be amazing. Just go through. We really want to make loose. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> okay. Oh my God. I can't wait to see a feldspar loo. <laughs> yeah. You can get those amazing Victorian loos that are like beautifully decorated. And I feel like we need to bring them back, update them. We have one in the workshop. <laughs> it's great. And yeah, we want to, this is the thing. We just want to make everything. Right? There's so many things. <laughs> but that, so that's super exciting. You've got the baubles coming up for pre-Christmas and this collaboration with Tanya Ling. Yeah, yeah. it'll be fun. Yeah, no, Lots of exciting stuff. Yeah, it is. One of the things I wanted to understand from you, which I feel like I know this about the two of you, but I wanted you to speak about it more specifically. It's You're also really committed to what you call labor intensive crafts and keeping these crafts alive in the UK, which is different from other brands that just seek to grow for the sake of growing their business. Could you speak to that? Yes. Yeah, so we actually ended up setting up two workshops in Devon to make our ceramics because we have always worked with a family run workshop up in Stoke-on-Trent and but it got to a point where we were at capacity with them and they want to retire as soon as possible <laughs> at some point in the near future. So we thought this is not super sustainable. And up in Stoke, there's only, I think one other place that makes things the same way that we make things, which is, it is a very labor intensive way, but it's also made by hand and it adds kind of the uniqueness to all the products and so we ended up having to set up two workshops down in Devon, initially only one, but then another one followed. And at first it was just us two. Like Jeremy would make everything and I would decorate everything. And that was a fun period, wasn't it? It was very cold. That's all I remember. It's very cold. <laughs> the workshop didn't have any doors or windows. Very dark and very cold. Uh, yeah, and it was going into winter as well, wasn't it? Yeah, and so then from there, we moved into one of our current workshops and just gradually grew the team. And we now have a team of 10, uh, most of whom are either ceramicists or decorators. And we used to try and find ceramicists or people that had experience in ceramics um but we found that very difficult because it's quite a niche thing especially in Devon it's not it's Devon is 
quite famous for its potters, but like a kind of one-man band type potter. And what we do is called industrial ceramics, which is a... Small batch production. It's listed as a critically endangered craft in this country. And so we now employ people who previously worked as teachers and graphic designers and like all sorts and people that yeah people that are just eager to learn and yeah and just work with their hands instead of working in front of a computer really but the reason we work with labor intensive things as well is because mainly the kind of the story of the product is so much richer when you know that it's been made by hands Mm -hmm. and real people and people paid well and in the right conditions and sustainably and everything like that. So it all adds to the story and the history of the product, which adds to the enjoyment of it as well. It's completely guilt-free. You can imagine someone putting it all together, taking such care and really working on something. And then also, I think handmade products are future-proof because in 50 years, 100 years' time, people will still be buying handmade because of that intrinsic value to it. Whereas the mass-produced machine-made stuff in 50 years, 100 years, we'll probably have 3D printers in our house. And if we want a mass-produced mug, we'll just print it out kind of thing. But then if we want something that's been labored over and crafted, then you buy your Feldspar 100-year-old heritage mug. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Here's to the 100th anniversary of your company. Sure. Yeah. So actually, that's the perfect timing to ask you to tell us the story of the name of your company. How did you come to choose it? And can you tell people what it means? Would you like to go? Or shall I go? So feldspar, it's one of the main ingredients in ceramic and in fine china, but in all ceramic and glassware. And so we came across the name when we were developing the product and we'd have a bag of feldspar, basically. And feldspar is, it's a family of minerals. It's the most abundant family of minerals on the planet. The statistics seem to vary when you look it up, but it's around 60 to 70% of the Earth's crust is made up of feldsparic minerals. Yet, these rocks that are all under our feet, products we use every day, and unless you're a potter or a geologist, no one has heard of feldspar. Never. Yeah. Never heard that word before. I know, it's amazing. Isn't that great? And and so feldspar is put into the, the ceramic to essentially it's a flux it lowers the melting point and it binds everything together it binds the silica together so it makes the product really strong basically and we like that it's this mystery ingredient that no one's heard of it's all over the place and it it brings things together it makes them strong so we like that and it it sounds quite nordic and cool like that under the radar yeah Yeah, I think I'd been hanging out with you for about six months until I found out about what the name meant. I felt terrible about that. And then also Dartmoor. We live on Dartmoor and that's a, it's a mountain of granite and granite is made up of feldspar, quartz and mica. And so it, it all seemed to work quite nicely. Yeah, okay. and the house we were living in when we came up with it was made of granite. Too. Yeah. It's just granite everywhere. Yeah, which may or may not be radioactive. It is slightly like radioactive. Is, yeah. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) Tell me now, how is it to work together as a couple? How do you collaborate? We work everything all together. So 
it's not like one person does one thing. So we'll discuss everything, but one will need on those. So yeah, I don't really do anything to do with production, but I write all the copy, all the marketing emails. Jeremy's not allowed access to our Instagram. No. <laughs> how, how, how did that happen for you? All customer facing things. So I deal with all of that. I don't really live by the customers or is right, so I, I just stay away. Yeah, from it. It's best not to. I think it's fine. You're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. Anything that's done, basically, like in all the communication and the photography and everything like that, isn't it? Yeah. And then I'll do all the you behind the scenes. Everything else. I don't do the making anymore because of the the team do the making. I'll do um, the like new product. Mm. Uh, this last week, I've been making a rotation molding machine to help with production of our new ball walls that are coming out this Christmas. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it, I'll do the kind of the businessy bit. Mm. Business admin. Mm. But if I understand correctly, and I think I tell me where I'm wrong, Jeremy, you learned how to do all these things to make, and Kath, you weren't a photographer beforehand you weren't a marketer you weren't a copywriter you also learned everything to do with that side of the business so I guess maybe one thing you've got in common is your love of learning or is it just is it in general or is it powered by this desire to build the company I think partly it's a love of learning new skills but also I think a lot of it is just total control freakery yeah <laughs> I think we both have that kind of maxim where you want something done well just do it yourself you're always like writing though so communicating you I really say, enjoy you're, writing you'd like to write a book I would love to write a book she she has been but, approached to write a book but three kids and all that don't don't seem very um, book don't really go hand in hand but I, I, I think we just Partly it was necessity because we didn't have the money to employ a copywriter or a photographer. So right, fun. we just had to do it ourselves. Mm. And photographing bright white fibre in China, which is very shiny, turns out it's really hard. <laughs> Luckily, a friend of ours who is a professional photographer kind of set us up. And That's the thing. We've been very lucky. So Beetle, he, he's a photographer for... Audi and lots of different yeah. big brands and stuff. And he showed us, get this flash, put the product here, use this F-stop, basically yeah. all that kind of stuff. And the same like... Photography for dummies. Yeah. yeah. And then <laughs> my brother is a web developer, so he did that. But it's even like with even. when you first started making everything, you would speak to the guys up in Stoke yeah. almost every day. And they just, just were amazing, amazing yeah. sharing their knowledge and troubleshooting when a whole I'd, kiln's worth of, of plates it's always the plates, always the plates. <laughs> so i'd be trying to get the plates out for a big order and um everything would be breaking and so then i'd call up tony up in stoke and he'd be like let me have a think about that and then he'd call me back a few days later it might be sunday afternoon and be like, have you tried doing this or tried doing that like you'd expect people to be really protective over their kind of ip essentially but if you show an interest in something people generally I'm really happy to share just building this rotation molding machine. I go to the steelworks and the steelworks guys show me how to weld and give me tips on doing this and that. And then you go to the engineering place and they say, oh, maybe try 
this pulley or this chain and like every, mm. every everyone if you're interested in something and you're interested in what they do they normally get excited and it's such a quick way of learning because i could do an evening course with welding or woodwork or pottery whatever it is and then you go through that kind of step by step just an hour here an hour there or you can go to people that have been doing it for a whole lifetime with very specific and then you, you just have this intense crash course it does mean though that you're quite um you're like narrowly skilled like I, <laughs> I i couldn't tell you how to do a glaze for this pottery that isn't something that we do it's, i understand it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> in praise of narrow skills <laughs> yeah exactly but lots of them <laughs> Exactly. It's it's fascinating. And it's such a sweet story. Actually, I think what you're both speaking to is the, the support and the power of community and how people do show up to help when you need things done. And, and I hear you that you learned a lot of things out of necessity, but then you did develop it to suit your product quite uniquely I think that's what it feels like when I look at everything to do with your product and the branding and the colors and the story online it just feels like you I'm hoping that this is what you wanted <laughs> yeah. it's good it's, it's been a pretty steep learning curve yeah so many learning curves. we talk a long time <laughs> about all of it don't we it's not just so like we, we debate it for a long time and we live with it yes and that might be through the lack of experience and knowledge. So we have to just really mull it over and yeah. think about it the whole time. And then it might be a couple of weeks we're like, oh, but that doesn't fit because the thinking here doesn't mm. mesh with that. Yeah. So like time and thought. Yeah. That's what that's why I mean, it takes a bloody long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that word considered. It still, I think, applies here. You're not rushing through it, right? Everything feels very intentional. It's true about the product and it feels true about the photography or the copywriting or the packaging. I love your packaging. It feels mm. so nice when you touch it. It ties in the experiential part of what you're creating in the first place. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, it, yeah, it just comes out of us wanting to go back to that we want to be able to control everything and make it exactly how it should be the packaging it's really nice because it's made in the uk by one of the finest mills on the planet like we we haven't cut corners for the packaging and bought it from i don't know china from a big factory or something like that mm. i'm sure you can get a made in paper from china that, that, mm -hmm. that they everything is considered and because of my background in the un as well there's no chance of us outsourcing to cut corners cut costs eventually we might have things made in a different location outside of the uk but it'll be because they're the best craftsmen for that skill on the planet kind of thing it won't be a, a cost-cutting exercise mm. yeah it's a lifestyle business we left our hectic jobs to do this but it always becomes hectic because that's what life is and that's what business is and work and everything like that so we're constantly re-evaluating aren't we and we'll just be like wait a sec we're not spending enough time with the kids or with each other or Kath's not spending enough time writing, which is her favorite bit, say, or I'm not spending enough time in the workshop. So we're, we're just yeah. constantly reevaluating and then thinking, 
okay, how do we get back to that? Or how do we get back on course? Like, Mm -hmm. how do we employ the right person here or the right agency there or slow down there or just different things? And I think that's important to have a goal, work backwards and figure out how you get there. And you probably never get to that goal, but then you work your way there and then you reevaluate. Yeah. That's beautiful. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because of course, yeah, as things develop, including your family, like you said, things are hectic. But I'm glad you pointed to Kath's writing again, because I have to say, I love reading what you write, Kath. Thank you, Anne. And of course, it's expected for a company that does beautiful tableware to, to join forces with a chef or to talk about cooking. But I found that you have a really particular spin on on cooking and recipes. Can you tell us the story of your great-great-grandfather? Mad. So I found out a couple of years ago that my great-great-grandpa had published a couple of cookbooks. And so this is late Victorian London, basically. And he was born in Italy, in Naples, and then basically had an altercation with somebody in Naples and was forced to leave. And was he, it the king of Naples or something? It was, been. yeah. And again, spicy yeah. stories. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's interesting. His dad was basically the king's doctor. And he cured cholera or syphilis or something? Well, he, um, he, yeah, he dealt with a cholera pandemic there. Rather so than he, being executed. Rather than being chucked in jail. Yeah, he was just told to leave Naples. So he ended up coming to London, but obviously having grown up in Italy, I don't want to be too rude about English Victoria. Well, I don't think it was great. And he is very scathing about it in his books. And so he ended up writing, he was a stockbroker by day, and ended up writing a column in a magazine, I think was like an early version of Harper's, and then that was turned into two cookbooks, which my whole family knew about, and I only discovered a couple of years ago. And they're fascinating because he was Italian by birth. He uses lots of Parmesan and pasta as well, which are just not things you associate with Victorian food. There are some recipes that you're just like, whoa, no way. Calves, trotters or something. Sounds like something from Witch's Cauldron. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought I'm going to start experimenting with these recipes. And there are some things that you just never think of now. He made a sweet pasta pudding, like a rice pudding, but made from pasta. Oh, wow. And it was really good, yeah, but you, I don't know if that's just been lost or if he just invented it and it didn't really catch on. And he has whole chapters about all the different types of pasta that you use for different dishes. And it just seems so forward thinking in a way. It, sounds, it feels like you're reading something modern, but then there's lots yeah. of things in there that you're like, oh, no, wait, this isn't like when he talks about like your servants and things like oh, that. Yeah, he or, does oh, well. You know, yeah. Yeah. Or, so give your cook this. <laughs> then, I was going to ask you, did he cook himself? Well, I'm trying to work it out. I mean, he must have because his knowledge of it is very impressive. But 
at the same time, he does reference the cook. But he also has tips for throwing the best dinner party and things like that. And Never have more than six yeah, guests. Never more than six guests. And pick the flowers yourself from your garden. <laughs> I'm loving this. Okay. And he has these hilarious things like never use raw parsley as a garnish on a dish. <laughs> that's brilliant. hundred years later. A hundred years still, later, yeah. people are still doing that. And yeah. it's why? Why would you pop? It doesn't make any sense. So I've been trying to cook a recipe from his cookbook. I haven't done one for a while, but that's because I had a baby. Yeah, fair enough. Takes up some time, but no, I do plan to get back into it. Do one every month, and it is—it's mm. fascinating. But there aren't things like timings and weights. It's all quite it's vague. It's all very vague. I read one of the recipes on your website. It did sound really vague. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it takes a while to try and tease out a dish from them. Mm, the Parmesan souffles sound really good, though. Yeah, they were good. They were very mm. good. The kids loved them as well. Mm. So maybe a cookbook in your future once once Gus is independent? I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no, something like that be good. Mm. Or just more of them. Yeah, they're and fun to do. Perhaps now you can tell me what is the dream future of Feldspar. We don't have time for that. Okay, <laughs> maybe you <laughs> don't speak about it. You let Kath tell me the dream future we, of Feldspar. We ideally want to have a kind of collection of workshops all on the same site. So. We'd have the ceramics workshop where we'd be making fine bone china and then we'd have a wood workshop and metal workshop, metal glass workshop, glass blowing. We, we're interested in taking all these heritage crafts that are either dying or maybe even have already died in this country and just having a spot where people can learn them again and make beautiful products. In a very modern, luxurious way, though, as well. Yeah. Know, so less kind of crafty and more um, innovative. Yeah. And even the workshops themselves will be beautiful objects. You know, we'll collaborate with other architects as yeah. well. And in the summer, they'll open out and um, be really light, airy spaces that people can go through. And then in the winter, they'll close down and cocoon everyone inside. Yeah. You um, need that on Dartmoor. Yeah. <laughs> but from day to day. There's a lot of rain. But the opening and closing won't just be a button or something. There'll be giant cogs and yeah. it'll be a pleasure to interact with and to use. and Just a kind of whole holistic experience. Really. A Willy Wonka land of craft and making yeah. and just the, like seeing all the, like a glass blower interacting and cr creating new things with a woodworker or a ceramicist. And it'll be like a, like a Google, but for making. So like everyone would be able to sit just in the quad. The AI. Yeah, it could be AI as well. In the quad and they, they'd all be eating together and the food will come from the land and it'll all be very wholesome without being yeah. too sickly. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> without being too sickly. Yeah. Uh, Google for making. Yeah. Damn, um, that's cool. 
and then we'll coppice the woodland for the wood workshop. We'll have bees on site for the honey, and so then we can use that in the kitchens, but then also we'll use it in the skincare, and it'll just be a real kind of holistic approach to making, I imagine, this whole warren of greenhouses, but each of those will be designed by different architects. And like old Victorian greenhouses were things of beauty, there's no need for them to be such utilitarian boxes. So we could just have this labyrinth of greenhouses and that will supply the botanicals for the skincare, but it will also supply the kitchen. The gin. Be, yeah, there'll be tree houses, of course. It'll be, it'll be such a fun place to go, especially yeah. if you're a child. There'll be a train. There's going to be a train. Because Kath's grandparents had a little mini train going around their mm. garden. And um, very we, we want to replicate that. One that you could ride on. Yeah, but just. Powered by a car Just big enough for an adult to get on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a kind of a playground. Yeah, just really yeah. creative. For, for adults. <laughs> but without being sickly, that's the key thing. It can't be, there won't be any kind of like adult quidditch or anything like that. <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> As you're describing it, I'm visualizing it. And the greenhouses in particular sound mesmerizing. I, I'm looking forward to seeing this in wait, wait, 20 our years. future. <laughs> yeah that's awesome yeah. wild to get It'll... there but that's always in the back of our mind yeah mm. but we're, we're edging closer to that we're, we're just setting up the woodwork metal workshop so that's one step edging mm. away from the ceramic or including other things yeah. so and if it's like the ceramics it takes a while for things to get started and then it just snowballs and you've got to try keep up with it all so that's that's my hope anyway awesome Is now a good time to go to our closing questions? Yes, yes. <laughs> All right. I know these are hard. Don't think too much. Just see what comes up. What is your favorite word, but not just what it sounds like? Imagine that it's a word that you can live with on your skin, theoretically tattoo on yourself. Oh, I have done that. I've, I've tattooed this, which is a plus symbol. Uh-huh, yeah. It also looks like a pharmacy or a medical. A little bit like a pharmacy, yeah. And <laughs> I did that to remind myself to be positive. So ah, two yeah. words, be positive. You could can't use the B, just positive. Isn't be, it also be, your blood type? It is also my blood type as well, so it reminds <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah. That's very helpful. Yeah. What's yours What about you? don't know hammock i don't have any tattoos i really like hammocks <laughs> but i wouldn't get a hammock tattooed on me <laughs> oh i don't know all right let's see if it percolates and if something comes up let me yeah. know hmm. what does connection mean to you internet connection We struggle with our internet connection. I remember. Anymore. We've got Starlink now. It's a dream. But no, it means community to me. Being able to speak to people. Maybe it's because we live in the middle of nowhere. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> What yeah. song best represents you? Or is there a song that best represents the two of you? our favorite song to listen to and drive along singing is probably the whole of the moon by the water oh, yeah. boys that's a really good one so maybe that's terrible 
just, I don't know, our kind of music taste at the moment is heavily colored by an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. Oh. So there's a lot of really bad music. That's oh. <laughs> it does not sound fun to me. Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll take the one you said. And thank you for educating me. I feel like every time I ask that question, I get such a plethora of gorgeous music, most oh, of which okay. I don't know. And I've created a playlist. I will send it to you. Oh, cool. Very eclectic. Very. All right. <laughs> what is the sweetest thing that's ever happened to you? Sweetest thing that's ever happened. Probably something to do with the kids. Just daily with kids, isn't it? They come up with such sweet things. They do. They're very sweet. Milo will come down and set up all the breakfast things. If he comes if he comes down before me, he'll get the breakfast ready. And if I just mention all I used to love those cereals, he'll get them out and pour me a bowl. That's very sweet. They are just Always so sweet. Um, most of the time. Most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> they are kids. So. Yeah. Of course. Oh. What is a secret superpower that you have? So not one of the many things that you've told us about, that one of the narrow skills you've developed. I can blow spit bubbles. So lovely, John. <laughs> that could be so the sweetest nice. thing for you. Everyone, when you have a little spit yeah, bubble floating yeah, past your face. Disgusting. And you've taught the kids how to do it as yeah. well. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's tricky. It's very hard. Just try it. Anyway. <laughs> I, I'll let you know how I get on. <laughs> Secret superpower. Um, I'm just really good at relaxing. Yeah, Kath is very good at relaxing. Oh, Tell us about that. That sounds like a super when, skill. That's, look, I'm incredible. Her whole, the whole generation, all of her brothers, they're just, they're just, just they relax. Nice. That's what they do. It is a skill, I think. It's very important. To my skill is probably the opposite. Fully relax. I always <laughs> be doing You always want to be doing the next thing. Yeah. Whereas I'm very happy just relaxing and I, doing nothing. <laughs> But just doing it, as Nike say, that is a skill because it's so easy just to procrastinate. But the only reason anything gets done is because you actually get up and do it. I think that's a superpower. Just do it. Definitely. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Both of them. Very inspiring. Yeah. You need to be able to relax. For sure. Mm-hmm. It helps when running a business if one person is always on. And the other is very good at switching off. <laughs> it sounds like a very balanced partnership indeed. Yeah. Now, imagine that you can step into a future version of yourself. What is the best advice that you want this future you to give current day you? What do you need to hear? Just enjoy it. Every second counts. <laughs> yeah. But it is important. It's so important to stop and enjoy it. And we do try when we get a new stockist or something amazing happens in the business. It's so easy to not stop and appreciate it. So we always try and really appreciate the good things and just everyday life with little people. I think, but by default, that is our mindset. 
looking back and then so that's why we're constantly trying to reevaluate and see if we're on track because we left our hectic jobs because we want to have this kind of family time in a family space and all that kind of we're always projecting forward and being like will we get to 10 years time or 20 years time and regret these decisions because we haven't stayed on track or we'd stayed on track and it wasn't working and yeah i think no one on desert island discs ever laments spending too much time with their kids when they're little do they yeah (laughs) yeah and they yeah or oh i wish i spent more time in the office yeah exactly you don't want that on on your tombstone (laughs) (laughs) so if the sun's nice the weather's nice sun's out then it's not too hard to convince us to drop things and get to the beach yeah (laughs) go to the beach that's good because my next and final question is what brings you happiness yeah just doing something like that yeah having pizzas in the garden on a sunny day yeah just relaxing with the kids yeah we are very family orientated we don't it doesn't we don't need much we don't need too much entertainment takes quite a lot to get us to leave the house to be honest yeah (laughs) on a sunny day get the the pizzas going yeah play some hopscotch some snakes and ladders yeah (laughs) it's fun doesn't take much simple things that's awesome thank you so much it's been a pleasure catching up and thanks for answering all my questions i feel like it's so lovely for me to be able to talk to you and see you and also get to put your story out to people who don't yet know about who you are and what you do so i'll put the links to the website and the instagram so people can find you is there any particular way that you want people to connect with Falspar or with you guys if they want to talk to you about something Okay. Sign up for my newsletter. <laughs> yeah, they really should. They really should because it's very good. Oh, thank you, Anne. No, this has been such a privilege. Thanks yeah, a lot. Thank I, you so much. Strange to have such a one-sided conversation, though. We need to have a catch-up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I can also tell you about other things that I've been doing. And yeah, exactly. Awesome. Yeah, that'd be really lovely. Thank you so much to both of you. Have a wonderful rest of the day. I hope whatever stormy weather that's happening currently in Devon is not too bad. And give Gus a cuddle and the other two, uh, Milo and Beatrix. It looks so oh, cute. Get, I've got to go pick them up School. now. Oh, yeah. Go. <laughs> Take care. Thanks, Anne. See you soon. See you soon. So, friends and listeners, thanks again for joining me today. If you'd like to hear more, you can subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice. If you'd like to connect, you can get in touch with me at Anvi on Twitter, Anne Mulethaler on LinkedIn, or on Instagram at underscore out of the clouds, where I also share daily musings about mindfulness. You can also find all of the episodes of the podcast and much more on my website anvmulitana.com if you don't know how to spell it it's also going to be in the show notes if you would like to get regular news directly delivered to your inbox I invite you to sign up to my monthly newsletter so that's it for this episode thank you so much for listening to Out of the Clouds I hope that you will join me again next time and until then be well be safe 
and take care.